All right. Good job, Mike. Um, a peep roast is always a little bit scary because it looks like a nicely caramelized peep looks like it's like a mutant. Um, but it is so fun to terrorize children with here's what happens. You get too close to fire. It's a fun example. We just give kids. No, it's, it is a great opportunity. You guys, you've been with our peep roast. It is an awesome time to get together and hang out. It is a very good time also to bring your friends. I'll give you one exception um, in terms of what Mike was saying about um, coming on Easter Sunday. If you are bringing people Ooh, we're about to, I feel like we're about to have a massive feedback explosion on everybody here. I can just hear it. We're just right on the edge. But if you're bringing people to church, there we go. If you're bringing people to church to you, uh, with you um, on Easter Sunday, sit with them. You know, don't like invite them on Sunday and they'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't go. Like, you know, sit with them. Be a part of the whole experience with them. Let them experience our church. You'll have to explain why there's a wall here. They're not going to know why that is. They're, they have no context for that. And just tell them we just felt like the room needed a little feature. So we added a wall. Um, but let them know why we're, what we're doing here. But um, so glad that you guys are here. I'm really excited about today. I think um, as we walk into what is traditionally known as Holy Week, there is so much we get out of being a part of Palm Sunday. And, you know, as you, as you watch, there's the kids and there's the celebration, there's the bright colors. And there's so much of what happens in, um, in the Bible, particularly as Jesus, you know, reaches his last week of his, his ministry. Um, there is like, there is, a, I mean, in fact, there's just so much. The, the pace of the Bible, of the Gospels, their accounts of Jesus' life, goes and goes and goes, and then it just, it just like slows down to get super detailed the last week of his life. And so it is an incredible time to be here. If you're new with us, what a great opportunity to learn some stuff about Jesus, about Easter, why we celebrate it, what it's all about, you know, there's just so much great stuff. So very excited about today. This is, of course, Palm Sunday. It's the, it's the one week before Jesus is on the cross or before his resurrection, and it's, it's what's t- sometimes known as the triumphal entry. He comes into Jerusalem and people are putting down palm branches to express their joy about it. So very excited about today. Let's do this. Let's pray together and we'll get into today's message and we'll talk about some stuff. So let's get into it. Jesus, we are, um, we are grateful people. We have a lot of reasons to be grateful. And though sometimes our circumstances mask um, the, why we're grateful, we are still grateful people. Some of us, Father, are looking to see a picture of your glory We have seen pain, we've seen sorrow, and we've seen sadness, and we need a greater picture of your great glory. Some of us, Father, are in need of a rescue. We walked into today, and we didn't simply feel like this was just about attending a church service or watching kids sing or palm branches or bright colors, that there's a part of our life that is really desperate for help. And so for those of us in the room who are in that situation, we are crying out, help us, help us. Others of us, Father, can look back over this past year, even in this past week, and begin to start thinking about how we could celebrate your rescue. That today is about a sense of praise, a sense of what we could sometimes call acclamation, a sense of joy about what you have already done. And regardless of where we are, Father, we know that you receive us and that you love us. Jesus, help us toward each other to be people who would acknowledge that and give people space. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us in stillness and in quiet in the way that only you can. And so we give to you just a moment to pause. Jesus, we need you. If we haven't, at some point in our lives, we will sometime call for a rescue out of desperation. And so we need you. It is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you want to, um, 
look in your bulletin. You got a little outline. It's a little half sheet of paper. You can unfold it, take a look at stuff. You want to follow along, great. If you brought your own Bible, we'll be uh, in John 12 and in John 11. You can take a look there. Everything else you'll need will be on the screen. If you want to follow along, maybe even, uh, you know, and you got a, you know, some kind of iPad or iPhone, whatever you want to just follow along. Great. Whatever helps you kind of pay attention, we're all about that. So if you want to take notes, I'm a note taker. You can do that as well. Um, when I, I, I have this expression, my buddy and I um, growing up, well, he more so than I, He's a great friend of mine, and he, there, there's this expression that he has. And the expression is, it's literally the word, it's the word, it's on the title of your outline, it's the word, two dudes. Like, he'll just say, oh, two dudes. And you're like, what, what is that, what, what exactly do you mean? Because when you think of the phrase, two dudes, you just imagine two guys standing there, like, here, you know, this is like some real, like, you might imagine some people that are kind of, you know, studly, kind of high school guys, like this picture of myself when I was in high school, my buddy, two dudes. <laughs> yeah. Picture of cool right there. Isn't that right, high school ministry? Yeah, yeah, right there. That was, I was 16 years old. It's my buddy Jason. If you guys were with us a couple weeks ago, I told you about my buddy who sang a Little Mermaid song in front of the whole school. That's a guy right there. He's got three kids. He's an elder in his church. He's like a super responsible adult. Not then, just two dudes. Okay, now, the expression two dudes, though, while it may actually apply to two dudes, is actually a different expression. It's like when something is really remarkable, something's really kind of, you know, at least somewhat astonishing, people will go, dude, right? But if it's like over the top amazing, dude, dude, like that, then that's two dudes. You with me? So if something now, it became such a joke with us that now when something was so awesome, you would just skip saying dude twice. You just say two dudes. So dumb. I know that's what that is. But the idea is, of course, that there is something so incredibly good that while dude would cover it, Two dudes, really, you need two dudes to explain how awesome this scene is. Now, when we talk about Easter, Palm Sunday at Easter, and we look at Jesus' life and ministry, it's a ministry of two dudes kind of moments. That it's not just sort of like, wow, that's kind of awesome. It's like, whoa, dude, dude, right? You with me? Now, it happens over and over again in his ministry, and it happens, at least in some small perspective, you get a sense of what that looks like in Palm Sunday, so I want us to take a look at what that is. Here's what it says in John 12. You can follow along, in your, again, on your outline or in your Bible. Here it is, John 12, verse 12. The next day, uh, the great crowd that had come for the festival, this is the festival of Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. Now, first of all, palm branches are a sign of national pride. They have a militaristic sort of um, tone to them. It's a, this, is a, this is a moment in which a heralded king would be greeted as if someone's going to like, this is a military victory kind of, you know, praise, which is, you know, Jesus is all about, you know, armed combat. This is, this is why the irony is sort of settling in here. Okay, are you with me? They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, the word Hosanna has, first of all, this comes from Psalm 118. But Hosanna is a word that has two meanings. Initially, the meaning is just, it's a phrase that means help us. Help, 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 send help right now. We're desperate. Help. Some of you, as we talked about already in the prayer, are already in that spot. Help. The other meaning of Hosanna is that you, it's something that's said as if to say, you are the one who is helping. You are the one who has come to rescue us. You are the one who saves us. So it's help us. And around the first century when Jesus' ministry is taking place, more so the term was used as a word of praise. It was used as a word of like expressing great gratitude and praise. So you have help us, and then you have you're the one who has helped us. Hosanna. The, the best analogy sort of that goes with this is the idea of, um, 
a, a lifeguard. Imagine if you were to fall into a pool and you have, you're not really good at swimming. And you would jump into the pool. You would say, using this analogy, you would say, Hosanna, help me. Hosanna, Hosanna, help. You know, right? When the lifeguard jumps in and is swimming towards you, you know, like David Hasselhoff is diving in there and he's got the little flotation device and he's trying to save you. At that moment, you say, Hosanna, you've come to rescue me. You with me? So it has this dual meaning. On the one end, it's a cry of desperation. And on the other end, it's, oh my gosh, we're rescued. This is such good news. So you have this scenario here where Jesus is walking, and the crowd is swelling in size. They're pretty excited about it. And uh, here, just keep on reading. Here's what's happening too. Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it's written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now this is, some of you have known this before. This is prophecy about the person who would come to rescue Israel. But the, it's sort of this weird thing. Remember, you have all this militaristic t- overtones. The palm branches, people are laying their coats, as some of the Gospels will tell us, so that he doesn't even have to walk at all on the ground, and the, the donkey doesn't either. Well, the, the donkey is like a surprisingly unmilitaristic, you know, vehicle. You know, a horse makes sense, but a donkey is like, why are you driving, why are you driving that? Why are you driving the minivan into the, into the city? Why don't you drive something a little more awesome? You know, it's like, not, <laughs> some of you drive minivans, I do too. They're just not that awesome, okay? And they're looking at Jesus going, why are you, dro- why are you riding the donkey? Because look what they say. At first, verse 16, all his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the disciples are basically watching this. These are people that have followed him along for three years of his ministry, and they go, we don't get it. We don't know what you're doing here. We don't totally understand we see the crowd chanting, we see all this stuff, and the crowd is beginning to swell in size, and we don't know why you're riding a donkey yet, but there's some stuff happening here, well, which will, it turns out, John says they'll find out later. Now, they're in this, the, the crowd is beginning to swell, there's some enthusiasm, people are shouting, there's all kinds of joy, and the question is, why are there, why is the crowd beginning to swell? Because there's some preceding events. There's some thing, Jesus has a reputation now that's beginning to get him some acclaim. And, you know, embedded in the Palm Sunday story is actually a story of both of the Hosanna, you know, meanings. And I want you to check this out. Here's what it says in verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So Jesus raises a guy from the dead. That's bound to get some attention. That's a story that's going to have, as we see, it's going to have wheels. That story's going to take off. People are going to go, I heard Lazarus was dead. Yeah, he was, but he's not anymore. Wait, what? This is, be- this is going to kind of get a little bit of traction. And people are going around going, yeah, yeah, that Jesus who's walking in, he raised my brother from the dead. Or we saw him, we, we were with him, we were with the mourners, and then G- we saw the whole thing. And that story begins to take off. Now, John does something interesting. The, the Gospel of John, the writer here, when he refers to miracles, he refers to them by the word signs. Sometimes you have the translators will put it as miraculous signs. But generally what you have is when the gospel writer John is writing about what Jesus does, he writes them as signs. On your outline, I think I put six of these signs here. There's a, there's a couple of them. But there's a sign here, a sign that points to something. Jesus, is, you know, Jesus has this sign or it, you know, gives this evidence of this sign. And signs point to something. They tell a story and they move things forward. As you read the gospel of John, if you ever have before, the first sign it's that Jesus performs, which we t- typically call a miracle, the first sign he performs is turning water into wine. The next one then, if you even read it, if you're reading the, the scripture in, in uh, chapter 4, you have this official son is healed. 
And it says, that even, John even says, this is the second sign. Which means there's going to be a list of signs that are forming up and pointing to something. If you look on your outline, there's like six signs there. You have the official son, Jesus heals a paralyzed man at a pool. He feeds 5,000 people. He heals a man born blind. And then he has this sixth sign. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And you can see the crowd is growing because of this sign. Now, in order to tell this story, in fact, in order to really understand what, why the significance of the story, I want us to go back into this Lazarus story. Because I think it captures the essence of the phrase, Hosanna, better than any story give you some background. Jesus is hanging out with um, some people, and he gets word. And it says that your friend, in fact, it even says the, the, um, the one you love has fallen ill. And that's, that's interesting here is John usually describes himself. If you ever read this, word, John, when he's describing himself, he's one of the original disciples who walk with Jesus. He describes the other guys, and when he describes himself, he describes himself as what? The one whom Jesus loved. So it's kind of weird that he kind of, it's kind of weird that he shares this kind of mantle with someone else. But he gets the word here. Jesus gets the word. The one you love is very sick. Not just like he's got a fever. He's mortally sick. There are big problems. And Jesus hears about it and he says, hey, you know what? He's not, his, this sickness will not end in death. And everybody's like, oh, okay. Well, then he gets word that he dies. And then it's like Jesus waits around. It's like four days later he comes to the scene with two of his friends, Mary and Martha, and then his buddy Lazarus, who is, you know, the one he loved. And they're, they're all mourning. And this is where we pick up the scene. This is in John 11, verse 19. Many Jews had come to Mar- Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Here's what's happening. These people, all of what's a communal event here um, is a, a Jewish tradition. It's still, a lot, it's still around today. It's called sitting shiva. Shiva is a word that means seven. Some of you may have been a part of this before. And what it is, is the whole town, people that knew, knew these people would, co- would show up at their house and they would sit with them. The rules, of this is unbelievable. This would be such a great practice for us to actually take on. But here's the rules of it. First of all, you come in silently to the house. You don't like announce, hey, everybody, how's everybody doing? You know, you don't do that. You don't ring a doorbell, you just walk in. Secondly, this is amazing. You are instructed as a person who's sitting shiva with someone else to not speak to the person who had the loss unless you're spoken to. In other words, that the idea is that the shiva means seven, and the idea is that you would sit for people would sit for seven days in mourning with someone without be, without trying to say the right words. In other words, that the idea is that people would just sit together in pain. I don't have the words. I'm just going to sit here with you. I'm here. I brought some food. It's in the you know, it's in the kitchen, but I just sit with you. And the picture here is that there is a, there has been a death, and the whole town is mourning. And Mary and Martha are in this, in this place here as their brother's dead and people are sitting with them and not necessarily speaking to them, just being there. And there is this, there's this picture here where they come in, so Jesus you know, is showing up there, people are there, everybody's they're kind of mourning the sadness. And then there's these very telling words. Verse 21, it's repeated two more times in different forms, but here's what it says. Verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you've ever experienced a loss, if you've ever experienced a pain in your life, if you've ever experienced a brokenheartedness, there is this sense that, God, you could have done something, but you didn't. 
So many of us have had the experience of, okay, God, we know that you're supposed to do stuff, but you didn't do it here, and we're a little bit frustrated about that. In fact, her sister repeats it further down in, in verse 32. She says, Listen, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The crowd who witnesses Jesus and his own interaction with this whole scene Jesus famously weeps in verse 35. This is like the one, you know, when, you used to, when I used to go to camp, if you had to memorize the scripture, this is the one you memorize. It's John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. That's the whole verse, right? And then you got to go eat pancakes early because your cabin memorized the scripture earlier, whatever it was when I was a kid. Jesus weeps. He's in the whole scene. Everybody's crying. There's a mourning crowd. Verse 36, he says, that then the Jews said, see how he loved him? Verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the, blo- the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying. In other words, the frustration what's happening here, the brokenheartedness of the people for their own brother and the frustration they have with Jesus is, it's not that he's not powerful enough. God, we need you to be powerful. It's not that. It's that you have the power and you aren't using it. You're not using it. Jesus, we need you to do something here and you're not using it. It's in this place because we don't have all the answers. In fact, we say that a lot if you're new with us. We say all the time, we're a group of people who does not have all the answers. And to try to figure out and give answers to everything is a pretty dangerous proposition, but we just try to do the best we can to follow Jesus. And when we don't have answers, we start looking for answers. We start trying to find out reasons why God didn't do what he's supposed to do, what he's capable of. Ask anybody who's experiencing heartache or pain or they're with someone who is suffering in their family. They'll tell you they've had these issues. And if you haven't been there, the least, the least helpful thing you can do is try to explain it for them. But there's this hurting. We, get to, we begin to start believing some lies. In the midst of real pain, we start wondering, well, maybe I, maybe I just don't matter. Maybe my whole life, maybe all of, maybe I'm not that significant. I mean, there are a lot of, there's billions of people in the world and I'm one of them and maybe there's just, my pain isn't that critical. We start believing that I've been, we've, been, we've been forgotten or that we're not significant enough, that God has somehow abandoned us, and we don't understand all this stuff. And so that because there aren't any answers here, because nothing really makes that much, we don't have a good answer that's going to make everything okay, the best we can do for each other is sit with each other. Sometimes. I don't know what else to do. I don't have any answers. But because you're hurting, I hurt too, and so we'll... We'll be together. And these, this whole town is mourning. And these sisters in the town say what we would all say, and we all have said at some point in our lives, God, if you'd shown up a little bit earlier, this wouldn't have happened. It didn't have to happen. You're supposed to be powerful, but you've forgotten me, and we've all been in that place. Verse 23, John eleven twenty three 23, says this, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Now, let me give you some context here. There is a, first of all, you have to understand, he's saying there's, something's going to happen, and she says, I get it. I know it's going to happen. Prevailing belief. There's a couple people, a couple groups of people who don't believe this. But the prevailing belief at this time is that people, when God comes, there will be a couple things that will happen. God will show up, and there will be a new era, a new world to come. In the new world, in the new world of God's you know, reign in the world, there will be these things. There will be healing. There will be a release from captivity. There will be, um, there will be uh, God's command over the forces of evil will be evident. And there will be this other thing 
oh, there'll be this uh, freedom from oppression. And the last thing will be this. There will be this thing called the resurrection of the dead. And the person who will usher that in is someone called the Messiah. People are believing in this idea, believing in this reality, and she says, yeah, 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 I know, someday it will happen, which really is essentially, again, we don't have like the emotional, there's not, John doesn't give us how, she, and she said it with a tear in her eye, or she, you know, kicked dirt. you just don't have, all you have is just, I know, on the resurrection of the last day. In other words, you almost get the sense. I get that he's going to be alive someday, but I need my brother now. Look, I... <laughs> I know that he's going I know that there's going to be a time in the future, but I really need him now. People who experience loss experience that kind of thing. Even in the celebration about what, what someday might come, there's a sense of, well, you know what, I lost that person and I need him now. I don't get to have them with me anymore. And there's a profound sadness that settles in. So she says, Someday he'll rise, I know, there'll be this thing that happens at the resurrection of the last day, and there'll be these people walking around. I don't know how it works, but there'll be, people will be not dead. That's great. Then Jesus looks at her and he says this, verse 25, famously. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. In other words, whatever it is that you have expecting about what will happen in the future is fully in me. This whole future about God resurrecting people, all that, it's I got that. I'm the guy. He continues. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Her answer, which isn't on your outline, in verse 27, she goes, I'd just love to see this scene live. Yeah, I believe. And she says this, you are the Messiah. All of the hopes of all the people, of everybody we've got are on you. We believe it now. We believe it. But man, it hurts in the present. There's a lot of pain we've got going on. And so we have then this Jesus who says, I'm the one. I'm the resurrection and the life. Now remember, we're talking about Palm Sunday. Remember that there is this, all of whatever, all of whatever Jesus is, is about a sign about things that are to come. It's about pointing to something greater. And Jesus, this is the whole picture of what this is. All of the signs of the Messiah, Jesus has shown in some capacity. You've seen healing. You've seen these miracles and power over oppression and evil and all kinds of stuff. And then there's this other story embedded here. And the people here are crying out. We're desperate, Jesus. Hosanna. We're so desperate. We've been crying out, and it seems like you've kind of forgotten us. We said you got word that we, you know, my brother was sick, and you didn't show up, and you said it was going to be about glory. Well, I don't care about glory. We're desperate. Hosanna, help us. And yet there's this sign somehow in here, which is John is pulling us through to this picture. Verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now remember, this whole incident is a sign. If you've ever been a part of an Easter service, you realize that there is a tomb with a stone over it and a dead guy or a formerly dead guy inside of there. All of this is pointing toward Easter. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. The actual, the, if you guys ever read the King James Bible, this is one of the earliest translations of the Bible in English, that actually says, he stinketh. 
It's like the best. That's all. I mean, it's like the only verse I have memorized in the King James, but it has this, you know, he, but, but Lord, he, what does it say? I think I have it written down exactly. Um, I can't find it in my notes. Anyway, but he, oh, yeah, by this time he stinketh. That's what it is. By this time he stinketh. So there's this odor. Now, please understand, all of the symbols that you're seeing here, all of the sort of subtlety here is that the guy is dead. You have mourners. You have an odor that there's a fear about, right? There's this death stink that's around a guy who's been dead. There's all, they even refer to, the text refers to Lazarus as just simply the dead man. Over and over again, John is making sure you understand. The guy's not like just sort of passed out from the heat of the desert. He's dead. Everybody knows he's dead. Nobody like, oh, whoops, we got that wrong. Like it's, he's dead. Now, verse, uh, verse oh, sorry, keep going. But uh, by this time, okay, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? That's verse 40. That in somehow or another, before he's even completed this sign, there is this picture. Jesus is telling the people, if you believe this, in other words, Jesus never puts on a display just for show. He's never a, like a sideshow magician. He's never like, let me just show you. Oh, you guys doubt? Let me show you. Prove it. Done. Drops the mic, walks out. There's none of that moment. It's always a scenario in which people believe and they come to him saying, essentially, Hosanna, help us. Do you believe? Yeah, I believe. And then look what happens. So we can't keep reading. Verse 43. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man, there he is again, not named Lazarus, the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, Jesus doesn't remove the grave clothes himself. There's this weird kind of communal moment here where people are going up to the person who has been dead, the guy called the dead man, the mourners, all sitting there silently with the hurting people, and they all see this guy, and Jesus says, you guys, take off those clothes. Take off those burial clothes. He doesn't need them anymore. They're no longer useful for him. But there's this kind of weird, visceral connection between the people now and the death, where these are people who are afraid of the odor, are now walking up and literally placing their hands on the burial clothes of a man who was dead. It is as if to say, do you guys get that he was really dead and now he's not fully, he's not, he's not dead at all, he's, not, he's walking around, he's fully restored. Do you guys, like there's, the, there's a communal part in which we share in this idea of the touching death itself. And there's this guy walking around. And for us in this room, who have real life issues, who have real life pain, who have walked through tragedy, who are walking through it in the present moment. We wonder still, is it too late? Can God still do something? Some of us wonder, have I gone too far down a road? That is just, I mean, I've just, I've walked down a road of some kinds of behavior or addiction, whatever else it might be, and it's too far and God can't do anything there. Some of us have a sense in our own life that this process back would just be too difficult from wherever else we've gone. And so we experience deep sadness and pain. We look at it like, there's this, there's this other weird thing that happened. Because we don't have good answers for why those things happen. We don't have good answers for how we got trapped in things. And we look at the story of Lazarus and we go, well, there is a future in which there's going to be this rising of people from the dead. And there's a little slice, a little sign of God's future that breaks into the present. God's someday kind of future breaks into the present in a small way, and we go, well, I guess, 
for some people, lives do get changed. Things that are, we're mourning the death of some things can actually come back to life. There's something going on here, which is, you know, this is part of the challenge that we have. The crowd, you have to imagine, as they're watching Lazarus come out, all these mourners, all of them have lost people they love. And there's a problem that they all have, which we all have. It's all of us suffer from it. They look at Lazarus being raised from the dead, and they don't think to themselves, well, they do think, that's great that he rose from the dead, but they also think this other thing, which we all think, which is, why not me? I mean, I'm glad for Mary and Martha, but my brother died. Or my sister died. Or my husband. Or my grandfather. Or my father. Or whatever. I, why didn't you? You could have, but you didn't with them either. There's something about us there that just gets us this sense of, man, well, this is, this is all I get. And we get this picture here. Jesus comes to the rescue of these sisters. And we don't understand why he doesn't give everybody that back. But he does rescue these women. Or their, their brother. There has to be mourners who would say i'm actually kind of bitter that you did it because i didn't get what i wanted to it's just so difficult the lazarus story again is the sign of what's to come you have to understand lazarus like his he what he was resuscitated from death it's not that he's resurrected when the bible talks about the word resurrection it's a word it's a word um, anastasis which means that like it's a life it's a resurrected life to always living when they talk about jesus they don't say use the word that he was raised or that he started walking again they use the word raised sometimes but they don't use they use the word talk about resurrection is that he's raised and he's no longer going to die again lazarus lazarus died he's not wandering around somewhere in like the middle east like Everybody I love keeps dying. I'm just walking around, waiting around for this. He's, he's dead. I mean, that's like he was raised and then he died. He lived a life for however long he lived and then he died, right? There's no guy walking around like wondering, Jesus, is this what you got for me? Because this is kind of, I'm, I'm kind of done now. You know, like I've lived a hundred lifetimes. I'm done. But it is a sign of what is to come. It's a sign that God's, God is going to break through in a dramatic way. It's a sign that says we live in the in-between, of Hosanna, help me, help me, help me. And God, you have already come and you, are, you have rescued and are rescuing me. And we don't understand all of the intricacies of how it's supposed to work, but we know that God is powerful and that sometimes, in some ways or another, God's future breaks into the present. We just know that that's what happens in some capacity or another. To go back to the triumphal entry. Jesus is... Um, Jesus is, you know, coming into the town. There's all, this, there's all this sort of hysteria. And many people, because here it is, verse 18 in John 12. Many people, because they had heard he performed this sign. Remember, this is the sign that someone who is supposed to bring about God's new era in the world would, ha- this is, would be an indicator of that. And they're like, oh my gosh, the oppression from Rome is over. This is so great. We've seen this guy. He has stories to support all of these signs. And now he's about to come into the town. And it's going to be lightning bolts and laser beams on the Romans. And yeehaw, Israel. That's what, he's, that's what they're all expecting. So the Pharisees, these are Jesus, generally his kind of religious opponents. The Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Jesus' work that's, a, that's before him as he comes into the city of Jerusalem and, is, and he's about to be on trial and he's about to go to the cross is about drawing the whole world to him. 
It isn't about the tight control. It isn't about the super neat explanations of everything. It's like the Pharisees just say, we've lost all the control that we thought we had. The end of John chapter 11 is fascinating too. You might want to read it as we go into this week. If you've got time to read it, it's really worth reading. But look what Jesus says even further down in John 12. He says this. Jesus is talking to some folks and he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if we imagine what glorification is, we imagine this is sort of the exaltation of a king, like lifted up really high. And yet John keeps repeatedly kind of ironically mixing in the idea of lifted up and exaltation by this idea of also being lifted up on a cross. That what the world imagines about being lifted up is that there's going to be a painful reality about Jesus' glory. And it's not just going to be, hey, everybody, I got lightning bolts and laser beams for everybody. It's not that at all. It's going to be lifted up on a cross. And the irony is he keeps calling it glory. That the powers of sin and evil themselves will be defeated on the cross. Not simply will he be killed, and not simply will he rise, but that the powers of sin and evil will be overcome in the ironic death, this, the lifted up of this king, the lifting up of this king on this cross. Verse 32, and Jesus is explaining this. Here's what he says. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And the explanation. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. All of this stuff is like presupposing something's going to happen. God's glory revealed on the cross and then three days later shown again as he rises from the grave, showing conquering the death itself. The Bible describes, the, the apostle Paul describes this as Jesus as the first fruits of the new creation. In other words, that there's going, he's the first one who is going, he's the first resurrected man. Lazarus isn't, Jesus is. And that Lazarus though points us to this time when this will happen. It points to us that a new life is possible, that, that there's a future ahead of us, that sometimes and in some way God's future way out there breaks into the present. And for people like us who go, I really need a piece of that future in my present right now, we have a hope in the most difficult and darkest circumstances. We don't have answers, but we do have hope. You know, um, one of the most powerful ways we express this sort of dual you know, living with the Hosanna, please help me, and the Hosanna, you've rescued us, is in baptism. It is a picture of what that looks like. The, 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 um, the Romans, the writer Paul, the, the apostle Paul writes in Romans, he says, that we're buried, in, buried um, with Christ in baptism, meaning that we're sort of the symbol of death itself, that our old life is put to death. By the way, if I'm baptizing, I won't hold you under the water this long. I realize my hands have been in this position for a while here. But buried with Christ in baptism... That all of what is your former life has been put to death and that we are raised to walk in a new life with him. Basically, that's a paraphrase of Romans 6. And what's being expressed here is that there's a, there is something about new life and about a death to an old life and about a new life to come. My own, my, my, um, my own son, who's, uh, who's 10, he's just short. He's gone through a pretty difficult last year. But I told him, hey, we're going uh, to have baptisms. You know, and I was, really wasn't sure what he would think about it. And he was like, he lit up. Like, he was, he was in, he, by the way, he's one of those kids where, my other kids don't do this, but you put him to bed, right at the moment his head hits the pillow, everything he wanted to say the entire day starts to come out of his mouth. <laughs> Good or bad, whatever it is, you know, like, it doesn't matter, but that's the time. As soon as he's like, I'm ready to go to sleep. And then it's like, Dad, I was just wondering, how do volcanoes do whatever? And what other tornadoes that have ever been in, you know, in, our, in Orange County? Of their, like, it's like, 
Well, and it's, I mean, it's also these things like, my friend said this to me, or why do people do this, or, you know, what is the, I mean, one time he asked me, I think he was really little, like three or four, he's like, what's fear, what's the fear of the Lord? Go to, go to sleep, son, go to sleep, just go to sleep. <laughs> But he has all these, like, questions, and so he pops up, really? Yeah, I can be baptized? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, do you know what it's about? He's like, yeah, yeah, I know what it's about. I'm like, tell me what it's about. And he goes, well, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm walking with Jesus, and I want to show everybody that decision. And I was like, that's a pretty good paraphrase. And in it, what he'll do is we'll be here, and you can do this too if you want, or if you're even curious just to attend the baptism class, what it's all about. There will be this symbol, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. All of it embodying this picture of what Jesus is pointing to in Lazarus, and then what he's ultimately going to point to on Easter Sunday. We are people who live in the in-between of both hosannas. God, we need you. And yet, God, you are already rescuing us, and it is, it is symbolized in this act of baptism. In a moment, we're going to get a chance to respond. We're going to sing the words, Hosanna. And for some of you, you'll need to sing it with very honest desperation. You need to know that as a church community, we are not one who chastises people who says to God, if you had only been here, our job, we feel like, is not to correct you who would say that. It's to walk with you and to sit with you, to be with you, because there are not words that are generally helpful in those situations. But it is a time for you to say, Hosanna, God, I'm desperate. Others of you in the room, well, I should say this way. For some of you, it's probably both. There's a part of you probably that says, God, thank you that you have, have rescued me, that you've initiated this rescue process in my life. I am, I am holding on to you because you are the one who is called the rescuer, and you're the one who can bring me new life. Even when there is no other hope I have in my life, I hold on to you, and I'm grateful to you. So where is it for you? Is it a financial situation? It is a broken relationship. Is it an issue at school or at work? Is it an issue with your own home? Is it a wayward adult child? Is it a wayward younger, still living at home child? What is it in your life that you go, help, help me? And where is it that you go, God, you are already initiating this rescue and I say thank you. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Just as your eyes are closed, think through these two things. Where in your life is there desperation? Where are you longing to see God's glory revealed? Where has it been lacking? Some of you, as we respond, will need to come forward and you'll need to write something as we come into this week. You need to write it down on our little prayer wall and place it in the prayer wall. Others of you will need to pray with our prayer team. Some of you in your own life are so desperate to find a, a relationship with God that is real and honest. And maybe Jesus in some small way is calling to you on the resurrection and the life. Stop trying to figure this out on your own. And maybe today is a day where you go, I want to take Jesus seriously as we come into this week of Easter. Jesus is our own heart's live in both worlds, sometimes at the same time, one in which we say we're so grateful. This could be no better. And other times where we say, I'm desperate. Father, we come before you and we say the word Hosanna and we express both things equally. Would you hear our own words and would you, would you minister to us as people who cry this out? 
Father, as we pray together, as we sing together, would you allow us to know and to experience the fullness of your great love for us. It is in your name, Jesus, that we sing. It's your name that we respond. It's in your name that we pray and say the words, Hosanna. Amen.